Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to September of 1999 to bring you this WWF coverage. Joining me for the month, we have just the one guest, and we but it is the excellent Billy Johnson. Billy, how are we doing? Uh, evening, Chris. Yes, uh, wonderful. All ready to talk WWF. Excellent stuff. So we'll move straight into this month's TV coverage because now SmackDown is fully week to week. Every week, there's a hell of a lot to get through before we get to the pay-per-view, Unforgiven. Raw kicked off the month with a match for the Tag Team Championship as the Rock and Mankind defended their gold against Kane and X-Pac. At least that was the plan, but Kane came to the ring alone. Triple H offered to take X-Pac's place, but Kane refused the offer. Triple H then took a sledgehammer to Kane, which allowed The Rock to make the pin and retain the titles. Jeff Jarrett defeated Jacqueline quickly with his figure four leg lock before breaking the guitar over Jackie's head. Edge and Christian were in action next, defeating the Acolytes in a battle to become the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Afterwards, the Dudley boys attacked the Acolytes backstage. Meat was then interviewed backstage, announcing that he wanted to be known by his real name of Sean Stasiak. Before he could finish his interview, he was attacked by the Mean Street Posse. Big Show defeated Val Venus with a showstopper chokeslam. We had a promo from Triple H in China interrupted by Billy Gunn. This led to Mr. Ass being granted a shot of the gold later tonight. The Mean Street Posse, accompanied by Terry Runnels, took on Test, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. Although the Greenwich natives did their best, they were no match for Test and soon attempted to leave the ringside area. Stasiak sent them back to the ring, where Rodney was quickly pinned by Test. The Hollies defeated the New Brood in a fast-paced match. The New Brood got some revenge afterwards with a bloodbath. Backstage, The Undertaker and The Big Show challenged The Rock and Mankind to a Buried Alive tag team title match on SmackDown. Al Snow cut a promo, still suffering from the loss of Pepper. In a bizarre interview, he ended up running around the ring, barking like a dog. D'Lo took on Steve Blackman with Mark Henry on commentary. D'Lo picked up the win after interference from Val. Henry attacked D'Lo after the match. Ivory and Tory faced each other in a hardcore contest for the WWF Women's title, ending with Ivory breaking a mirror over Tory's head for the win. And Triple H retained the WWF title against Mr. Ass Billy Gunn following a pedigree. Kane hit the ring afterwards, laying out China, Hunter and Shane with choke slams as Raw went off the air. On the 13th, we saw Triple H enter the arena surrounded by security as he has made quite a few enemies recently. Linda came out and made two matches. First, we would have Kane, Undertaker, The Rock, Mankind and Big Show in a five-way to determine a number one contender for the world title. Secondly, Triple H would have to defend the belt against Steve Austin later tonight. Jeff Jarrett set an open challenge for any woman brave enough to face him. Luna accepted, but the match was brief after Jarrett was DQ'd after Ivory hit with a guitar shot. Devon defeated Farouk in a Dudleyville strap match after Bubba interfered with a steel chair. We had a promo from the British Bulldog, explaining why he'd given Al Snow the hardcore title on SmackDown. Bulldog made it clear he planned on winning the WWF title in the near future. Bossman interrupted, but was cut off by Al Snow, who challenged him to a double steel cage match at Unforgiven. We saw Shane laying backstage, obviously having been taken out. Tess defeated Joey Abs before the posse jumped the big man after the match. 
Shane McMahon, believe it or not, came out to make the save, teaming with Test to clear the ring of the Greenwich natives. We were set for Hunter to defend the title against Austin, but the champion announced he had signed a warrant for Austin's arrest and police took Austin into custody. Godfather defeats Chaz. Chris Jericho beats submission expert Gotch Gracie via submission in a steel cage match. Shamrock tried to attack Jericho afterwards, but was beaten down by Jericho and Gotch, who revealed himself to be Curtis Hughes. The number one contender match descended into a crazy brawl, seeing countless officials laid out before the locker room stormed the ring, the match ending in a no contest. Val Venus and D'Lo defeated Steve Blackman and Mark Henry. Henry never actually came to the ring, having been distracted by Godfather's hose, so Blackman took the handicap loss. Triple H in China called out Linda McMahon, verbally abusing her and threatening her when she refused to declare Austin bottom of the championship ladder. This brought out Vince McMahon, who went after Hunter. Austin then returned, and we began our WWF title match, ending quickly in chaos though after Austin attacked the ref. Raw goes off the air with Austin stunning Hunter. And on the 20th, and in a segment we'll talk about more on the main show, the third Raw of the month opened with WWF champion Vince McMahon, WWF Champion Vince McMahon coming to the ring to relinquish the title. Austin and Triple H argued for Vince's spot in the Unforgiven title match. In the end, Austin agreed to reinstate Vince if he got a shot at the title. Vince agreed, putting Triple H in the Unforgiven six-way and declaring Austin would face the winner. Chris Jericho beats Billy Gunn following interference from Mr. Hughes. Luna defeats Ivory in a quick impromptu match. In an interview with Michael Cole, D'Lo said he was looking for revenge on Henry, but before he could finish, Sexual Chocolate laid him out with a chair. The Dudleys defeated the New Brood after interference from Stevie Richards, who was dressed as a Dudley. Test and Stephanie McMahon defeated Jeff Jarrett and Deborah in a mixed tag match. Stephanie pinned Double J after he was taken out by Test, and afterwards Jarrett put Deborah in the figure four. The Rock and Mankind regained the WWF Tag Team titles, defeating The Big Show, Midian and Viscera, following interference from Kane. Sean Stasiak beat Steve Blackman after distractions caused by Val Venus. The Undertaker called out Kane, who was attacked by Undertaker's minions, before Rock and Mankind made the save. Hardcore Holly defeated The Big Boss Man, following interference from his cousin, Crash. And in our main event, Triple H and China faced Vince and Shane McMahon. Vince had been trapped backstage, so Tess subbed for him. Jeff Jarrett interfered to go after China before Triple H laid out his opponent with a steel chair. He didn't stand tall at the end of the show as he found himself knocked out courtesy of a chair shot from Vince McMahon. So we've got four episodes of SmackDown as well as three episodes of Raw to cover before the pay-per-view and the final Raw episode of Raw is um, after the pay-per-view at the end of the month. First thing I'd like to talk about um, in what is an astronomically newsworthy month from an on-TV perspective for the company, is uh, from that first episode of TV, which was the SmackDown on the 2nd of September. So we had Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn. He was facing China on that show to determine a number one contender for the intercontinental title at Unforgiven. So during the match, the referee inadvertently knocked outside the ring. Triple H runs in, hits Billy Gunn with a pedigree, lays China on top throws the referee in the ring, counts the three, and we have China set to face Jeff Jarrett for the IC title at Unforgiven. So, Billy, last month, China, for a short while, was the number one contender for the WWF Championship. This month, she finds herself as the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. So, she started this month a bit lower on the totem pole, but still in the spotlight in terms of the men's side of wrestling. What do you make of China 
uh, being sort of knocked down a peg, but still kept very relevant within sort of the seat, the men's scene within the WWF this month? Well, she's proven like within the last two years that she can uh, certainly hang with the men. Um, she's been booked very, very strong, um, really, uh, considering that, you know, um, the, the way she manhandled uh, Terry Runnels back uh, in 1997. And she's been a protected character as well. They haven't had to use her in the ring really much until this year, really. And they've decided to, to go in with China. Now, it's a bit odd because obviously she's with Triple H and she's a heel. But then when she's... On her own, she's a baby face, so she's getting a reaction, I guess. So why wouldn't the Fed decide to run with it? I I, I think she's uh, a, a good talent, and I think she's someone that they should uh, definitely invest some time in because there is some clear connection there with her and the crowd. I think you're right in, in that inherently having China wrestle whether it's the mid-card, lower main event, or in a main event, it's different because it's it's a woman. Like, it's always going to have a different feel to it. And it's not the kind of feel that you'd want to avoid with, like, intergender, intergender wrestling, where you have, like, a rather petite woman coming up against some of the men, maybe the size of Billy Gunn or even a Triple H. You've got China in there, who's the same size of the men, if not bigger than half of the roster. And... I, I said last month when she was briefly number one contender before uh, Mankind and Triple H took it away from her that I quite like the idea of maybe building China up. And I would have started with her at this sort of level going for the IC title rather than putting her in a main event scene because any sort of potential backlash towards that is going to be much diminished in the mid card as opposed to at the top of the card. And there was a time where... Very briefly, the main event of SummerSlam was scheduled to be China versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, I don't think I'd go ahead and do that right now, but I'd go into this with the mindset of in six months time, having had a run with her in the mid card, is that a match I could do? And how I would test the waters is by having her in the mid card in matches like this. She's going to face Jeff Jarrett at the pay-per-view. We'll see how that goes. You see how the crowd react to it. She gets a reaction, like you say. If that can be continuous and consistent, then I like it. I like the idea of China in the upper echelons of the card because it's different to just another body because it's a woman. It's a different perspective. Moving forward uh, to the, uh, well, one week later, we get to the 9th of September and, uh, Early on in the show, we had a big return in the return of the British Bulldog to the WWF. So on the show, the, the big boss man came out to a loud chorus of boos. Uh, he challenged any dog lovers to come out and fight him for the hardcore title. Um, and boss, uh, boss man was uh, confronted by the British Bulldog. He made his return in a grey sweatshirt and jeans, but to a very large pop. Um, they had a match, which was a reasonably fast-paced brawl, and the finish saw uh, Bossman try and hit Bulldog with a chair, but Bulldog blocked it, hit Bossman with it, p- 
picked up the nightstick, clobbered boss man for the win, picking up the hardcore title. Um, but heading back up the ramp, he then gave Al Snow the hardcore title to cap off his initial return. Billy, so we've got Bulldog back in the Fed. What did you make of it? Uh, oh, God. What do you make of it at this stage of his career and what like the shape he was in and all of that? I have uh, very fond memories of the British Bulldog um, from, obviously, 1992, you know. Uh, lucky enough to see Bret Hart and British Bulldog at Wembley Stadium at SummerSlam 92. And um, I, I just hold him on such a high pedestal, really. Um, what he's done in the wrestling business since then is always... I've always given Bulldog a pass. It's like, yeah, he, he can get better he, he will be better he can do better you know but unfortunately i think i've run out of excuses for the british bulldog now because when he came back he just looked a shell of his former self he was broken down he looked really hurt and he's got no movement he's no not very fast it's just I don't think he can hang with today's generation of wrestlers. And it's rather sad to see the decline of the British Bulldog in this way. And unfortunately, he's been thrust into quite a big spot this month. And it probably looks like they're going to you know, continue to push him as a, an upper mid-carder. And I think it's just going to be very sad going forward. And uh, it just makes me feel bad for the guy because... He obviously needs a, another payday. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. He, I mean, it doesn't look like the Bulldog. I mean, even as, well, when was the last time we saw him in the Fed? What, three years ago? Maybe maybe not as far back as that? I think it was just after Survivor Series 97 he quit, didn't he? So. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, 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 two years, coming up to two years since we've seen him. And, I mean, that's hardly peak Bulldog then. No, it was but, was it? <laughs> but it's still night and day compared to the Bulldog we got here. Yes. <laughs> the drop-off since then has been quite sharp. And, obviously, um, we know that he didn't have a great time in WCW. We know he got hurt in WCW. And maybe his body isn't in the greatest condition to be coming back and wrestling especially in such a major spot and in a pay-per-view main event with what five other sort of main event level guys his first month in I mean I don't know what to make of it really because if I'm booking the Fed and you have Bulldog come in and he's in this shape I don't know why why you put him in this spot like why i mean this debut here this return like um with the hardcore title is not really at the top of the card but by the time you get to the pay-per-view he's in that main event and he's had a big role to play in setting up the main event which takes lots of twists and turns throughout the month and i don't i mean it's hard to look at the bulldog that walked out on smackdown on this night and see a main event guy and i say that as a fan let alone someone behind the scenes and it is sad um but i mean is it hard to say whether or not you've got any like hope like will he get better and but 
then is the damage done? Is he is he in a bad way with his, like how is it, how's his back? How are his injuries? And it doesn't look good, and the movement's limited, like you say. Um, but maybe with a bit of time, he could ease himself into the role a little bit more. But we'll have to see how it plays out. But it certainly wasn't a uh, a positive moment uh, on that episode of SmackDown. Uh, also on that show, we had quite the main event as The Rock and Mankind defended their WWF tag team titles against The Undertaker and The Big Show in a Buried Alive match. The teams obviously Buried Alive match main event brawled all over the arena. As you'd expect, uh, Finish saw Triple H, who had been continuously interfering in the match. He came out and he hit Big Show with a sledgehammer before turning around and finishing, uh, finish burying Mankind uh for Big Show and Undertaker, so winning that team, the tag team titles. Um, shortly after the match finished and we had our new tag team champions, an ambulance arrived for Mankind and Triple H glo- gloated on his grave. Um, he opened the doors of the ambulance and out popped Stone Cold Steve Austin, which was an awesome moment. Austin stuffed him into the ambulance, uh, drove him out into the parking lot where he got a truck and drove the truck into the ambulance. So Quite the uh, frantic end to SmackDown there, Billy. Uh, what did you make of it all? I, I enjoyed the match. Um, I've got to say, you know, this month, the Rock and Sock connection have been incredibly entertaining. And um, probably the highlight of the entire month for me is anything involving them from their formation up until the end of the month. Uh, it was This Is Your Life segment. I think that's what they called it. But... Um, yeah, just I enjoyed that match. As for the segment at the end, uh, they obviously kept Steve off of TV since SummerSlam, so it was a big moment when he pops out, and a lot of people didn't expect it. I didn't expect it, and I popped for it. And um, I think you know they're definitely sending a message that their big match, I would assume for Survivor Series, is going to be uh, Triple H and Steve Austin. So. You've got that feud, and they're just going to keep doing these uh, great angles, hopefully, um, leading up to this big match that will eventually take place, on, like I said, I suspect, at Survivor Series. Moving on to the uh, third SmackDown of the month, and we have another big main event to discuss. <sighs> quite the show, quite the twist on this one. Um Triple H, who was forced to defend his WWF championship on the show, was allowed to choose his opponent and the referee. So for his opponent, he selected Vince McMahon. And for his referee, he selected Shane McMahon. Vince didn't want anything to do with it. But after Hunter goaded him into the match, after making some remarks about Linda. So our main event was set Triple H versus Vince McMahon for the WWF championship. As you can imagine, Triple H beat Vince all over the place, choking him, stomping him, putting him through the announce table with an elbow drop, busting Vince open with a steel chair. It was an absolute massacre. Uh, Briscoe and Patterson and Linda came down to try and end the carnage, but Hunter took out Briscoe and Patterson before China grabbed Linda and forced her to look at a bloody Vince as he arrived on the floor. Triple H set up for the pedigree and Stone Cold Steve Austin hit the ring. This is a stick game! Linda McMahon. This is sickening. We need 
need some help out here, Tim. Uh, I've never seen anything like this in my life. before delivering one to Triple H. Austin then grabbed Vince, placed him on top of the champion, dragged Shane over, who administers the count, and three seconds later, Vince McMahon became the World Wrestling Federation champion. Austin left through the crowd, and a furious Triple H went chasing after him. Billy, uh, (laughs) where to start, really? Vince McMahon, the WWF champion. uh, It was a short reign as the next week on Raw, uh, the show started with Vince coming out and relinquishing the gold. So not the longest championship reign in history, but uh, the history books will forever show that in September 1999, Vince McMahon was the WWF champion after pinning Triple H. And uh, obviously, you know, the history books also show that Vince McMahon uh, vacated the title. Oh, yeah, undefeated. Days, no, undefeated. Yep. You know, Vince no. has got to go undefeated for some bizarre reason. Um, I did not like this at all. Um, I was actually very angry because they had done a very good job with Hunter, you know, over on TV uh, from the minute that he won the title. Um, he's basically been destroying everyone on TV. And then non-wrestler Vince McMahon, who... Yeah, don't get me wrong. Vince is great at facial expressions and can have a pretty solid match. But he's a non-wrestler. He's the chairman. He is not a he's not a badass like Stone Cold. He's not the Rock. He's not an actual pro wrestler full time. So why are you having your WWF champion who's been on a tear all month? suddenly lose to non-wrestler Vince McMahon. I don't understand it. And what you've also got to done is you've really hurt the championship because, you know, if, let's say, for instance, they could could have changed a lot of things about that match. They could have uh, still had Hunter win and they could have still done all the stuff with Austin afterwards. Could have just had him come out and beat up uh, Hunter afterwards, after the after the match, you know, Vince gets his ass handed to him. You could still do all that, but 
for whatever reason, they decided to make that the finish. Now, I get it from a point of view that old Steve was just trying to screw with Triple H because he had injured him, air quotations, at SummerSlam. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so... What, sorry, Chris, what was my point? Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to be baffled because Vincent Mann won the WWF Championship. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's that... got me tongue-tied. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's got me all tongue-tied. and I, I don't understand why they've gone in that direction. You, you devalued the title because and... you put it on a non-full-time wrestler. <laughs> and... He's just immediately relinquished it. And then, oh, it's going to be up for grabs at the pay-per-view. So it doesn't it doesn't do anything for anyone. I don't think it did any good for anyone. I mean, by the end of the month, like, it's not even... It's not part of the story, even, is it? Like, it's... <laughs> it's, it's not... There's there's no net benefit to this. Or, or just no benefit by any metric. Like, one thing that we haven't even mentioned yet, like, the finish... That 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 caused the title change. Stone Cold Steve Austin's in the ring, hitting a stunner on someone, so that Vince can win the title. Like Stone Cold has won the WWF title for Vince McMahon. Like what is that? Like <laughs> that is the most backwards, like convoluted of booking. Like I know Vince is not around week to week, usually. Uh, and maybe his direct number one enemy at the minute is not Stone Cold Steve Austin. But why would Stone Cold Steve Austin win the WWF Championship for Vince McMahon? Why would he then go and reinstate him on Raw a couple of days later? Obviously, you're going to get into that on the TV report, but it made no sense from what you were telling, long-term no. story-wise, over the last year and a half? I mean... I- Every second of Austin has just been the antithesis of Vince McMahon, hasn't he? He's, he's the, the... You have Vince on one side of the coin and Austin on the other, and everything else is built around that. But apparently, Hunter is, what, more of a target for Austin these days than Vince? And everything else, let bygones be bygones? <laughs> I also can't see this baby face. Vince McMahon lasting very long. Now, to be fair, if it all ended up with, uh, as I say, Vince screwing Austin at Survivor Series, you could sort of dig yourself out of a hole, but you're still in quite a big hole. You still, you've destroyed an entire year and a half of TV, basically. And and I, I am totally with you as well on Babyface Vince McMahon. It doesn't. Vince is excellent, like you say, the facials and and the, the, his promos and Vince is always going to be Vince McMahon on those two points. But in terms of the character, it does not work for me anywhere near as well as Hill maniacal owner Vince McMahon. And if you're going to have like a Hill run in the show, like Hunter has basically been the focal point of the TV and very much so the next episode of SmackDown where it has five singles matches in one episode. Like 
there's no one who's going to be better. And I'm not uh, by, by any means suggesting that Vince should have five matches on a SmackDown, but <laughs> he, he, he could be, if he's affiliated or aligned with a heel, he's still a mouthpiece for that individual or that faction. Or I, I, I always think that even if you're number one feud in the company, which they're right to, to have taken sort of, a break from Vince versus Austin. It's not, that isn't the heartbeat of Raw and SmackDown these days. You still should utilize Vince McMahon in a heel role, even if his sights aren't anti Austin, because he's just so much more natural. The character is a better fit. And quite frankly, there's been too much. We're not that many months removed from the reveal of the higher power. <laughs> like, <We've> got... <laughs> like, I mean, how how long goes that? It's, it was not that long. I mean, it's all of a blur. But yeah, it was gone forever. Don't forget that fully loaded. So yeah. So I don't buy babyface Vince McMahon, and I think you're right to point that out. But yeah, um, listener, uh, Vince McMahon WWF champion. It happened September 1999, and uh, we're gonna have to live with that forever when we talk about former champions and championship history and we will remember that Triple H lost the WWF championship via pinfall to Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon was not beat for that belt so the uh, final episode of Smackdown uh, before we get to the pay-per-view opened with a uh, promo segment with uh, Vince McMahon and Triple H so McMahon orders Hunter to participate in five matches that evening, one against each of his fellow opponents in the main event at the pay-per-view on Sunday. Hunter had to win at least three of the five matches in order to keep his position in that six-pack challenger unforgiven. And uh, not only were his opponents quite fearsome, but the stipulations as well. Uh, so he had to face the Big Show in a chokeslam match. Oh, sorry, a chokeslam challenge. Kane in an Inferno match. So we've got another Inferno match because everyone's been clamoring for one of those. Uh, the Undertaker in a casket match. Mankind in a boiler room brawl. And the Rock in a Brahma ball rope match. So uh, that night on SmackDown, first up was the big show. And uh, Hunter, knowing that he must hit a chokeslam to win, quickly went on the offensive. After a few minutes, though, he set up for the chokeslam. But show proved to be too much. Escaping. Hunter falls victim to two straight, leaving him with a burden of having to win three of his next four contests to retain his place in the match on Sunday. His second opponent, Kane, in an Inferno match. Kane took to the offensive, hit a chokeslam early. Lucky it wasn't another chokeslam challenge. Um, but was distracted by X-Pac, having been laid out on the stage by Undertaker, Midian and Viscera. Kane came off the top and went after all three men outside. But in doing so, his right hand was set on fire meaning that Hunter moved to 1-1 one and one for the night, picking up a nice victory there. Uh, the Undertaker then seemingly quit the WWF, telling Vince that no one orders him around. He left the building, so Undertaker was not there for their casket match. But uh, Vince ordered that Hunter had to face Viscera and Midian in a handicap casket match instead. Hunter thought he had the match won after hitting a pedigree on both men before rolling Midian into the casket, but Shane McMahon appeared and he said that the rules were a bit different for a handicap casket match in that Triple H must stuff both his opponents into the casket at the same time to win the match. 
Midian and Viscera made the most of this second chance, delivering uh, some splashes and before rolling Triple H into the casket. So he would now have to beat both The Rock in a Brahma Ball rope match and Mankind in a boiler room brawl to get to Unforgiven. In that boiler room brawl, Hunter did defeat Mankind after an unknown assailant threw Mankind off a platform through a table with a steel pole. Hunter moved to two and two, heading into the last match of the night. So before the main event, Bulldog found Vince McMahon backstage and asked the owner to let him into the match on Sunday, replacing The Undertaker. After some jostling back and forth, Vince McMahon agreed. As a way of thanking McMahon for allowing him into the match, Bulldog said he would serve as the guest referee in the Brahma Ball rope match. So in that match, The Rock appeared to have it won. He hit a rock bottom, but then Bulldog shocked the world. He turned. He attacked The Rock. A pedigree later, Triple H was victorious. Bulldog, China and Hunter celebrated. Hunter finished the night three for two. He retained his place in the main event on Sunday. So... Billy, we had a whole episode of SmackDown built around Triple H, built around him wrestling main event opponents in main event stipulations. What did you make of all of this? <laughs> well, what can, what can I say? Um, well, basically, they blew through like a month's worth of TV in like one episode. Um, a month's worth of pay-per-view, mate. Like, Jesus. Maybe not, <laughs> I... a, maybe not a chokeslam challenge, but Inferno matches, casket matches... They seem to do absolutely everything on this show. And also, like, on this show, you had The Undertaker quitting, and it was like, that was a massive deal. Ooh, it should have been made more of a massive yeah. deal, really. The guy's been around since bloody 1990, and he just got like, oh, it's like, I'll quit, I've had enough. Fuck it. <laughs> he just did the offs. And... You also had like the New Age Outlaws return on this show, so that yeah. was another massive moment, and I'm sure you were really excited about that, Chris, because you know you love the WWF tag team division. Oh, naturally. naturally. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I didn't get it. It was like, why are you blowing through so much stuff on one show? Okay, I kind of get it from the point of view that Vince is fucking with Triple H and he wants to. Um, Make him pay for, uh, I don't know, insulting his wife. I think that's what most of the it all came down to with him. Uh, you know, them two, their, their feud and everything that seems to be going on. But what, what, why did you blow through so much stuff? I, I just don't understand it. It was an exciting episode, don't get me wrong. And, you know, all the props to Hunter in the world, he did have like five different matches. And he seemed to work his ass off in all of them. I just, I, I don't understand it. It's maybe it's because we're in this era, the Attitude Era, as it's been called, where everything is, it's car crash TV, so everything's got to be happening at once. But is this the height of it? Because by the end of it, my head was spinning. I'd seen so much. Yeah, I. It was just. A mile a minute episode, well, more than more a mile a minute, but I mean, it was just a frantic episode of television that if you took your eyes off the screen for a minute, you'd already missed two segments. Like, it was crazy. So much happened in this show. So much newsworthy stuff, like you say. Undertaker has quit the WWF. He's gone. He's out. That's it. He walked out on a pay-per-view main event. He's sick of 
being told what to do is gone. The Undertaker is gone. Barely a footnote on this show. Like, it just didn't matter. It was like, oh, Undertaker's out. We'll better roll out Midian and Viscera. That's it. Done. Like, that's it. Doesn't matter. That's fine. Undertaker's out. That's all right. We've got Bulldog. That's all right. Like, and then, yeah, like you say, the Outlaw's coming back and just, like, we've just forgotten that they've been feuding for, like, ever. Like, they've... That never happened, Chris. It never happens. Oh, it was just a dream. That's fine, <laughs> Um, and yeah, Hunt having five matches and like, like big stipulation matches. Another Inferno match, which yeah, like, like I say, I don't think there was quite the uh, desire to have one, uh, but we we got one. And uh, like I mean, five matches, not not with necessarily clean finishes, but five matches with finishes nonetheless. Um, and yeah, I mean, you do have to give. They weren't the longest matches in the world, and. He may not have been all action, but you do have to give some props for Hunter for what must have been quite a uh, stressful evening of work. Um, <laughs> five matches against five different, well, actually six different opponents as he ended up in a handicap match as well. And uh, coming out with three wins and you do have to get some credit for him. Just a bit odd, really, that the show is built around a hill just really struggling to overcome the odds because the baby face maliciously put him in like a five match gauntlet like that's a bit backwards the dynamic there that like the whole show you kind of feel like you should be rooting for hunter but he's the hill ultimately and that feels a bit backwards it wouldn't it would work more if the dynamic was hill vince mcmahon forcing a baby face to go through a series of five matches in order to obtain their place in a championship match Sounds spot on and it sounds true to character from what we've seen for Vince McMahon against Stone Cold Steve Austin or any other babyface at the top of the card. Um, but uh, yeah, they flipped the switch. It was a bit backwards on this one. But yeah, just a absolutely crazy episode of TV. And um, I mean, it hasn't taken very long for SmackDown almost to become must see in a way like we've had so much happen that if you miss an episode of SmackDown, by the time you've got round raw, they've moved on three weeks like of storylines. And if you're not watching SmackDown as well as raw, you're going to lose context. to So many storylines within the WWF these days um, that I think they've done really well to build it into quite an important show. Um, I said last month that with the, uh, the uh, debut episode they could have definitely done more to promote it and maybe that mankind triple h match where triple h won the title if they'd have put that rather than hot shotting it on raw you set that up on raw for the debut first episode of smackdown that would have been much better but this month i think they've done really well and they've put a lot of big matches on there um probably too many um but it's made it uh while frantic and a bit crazy definitely must see so uh, I'll give them a lot of credit for what they've done with SmackDown this, this month, even though probably 80% of what they've done doesn't make any sense. The fact <laughs> that they've done so much in itself, I think, is a positive thing. With that, we shall move on to our review of pay-per-view. So we have WWF Unforgiven. Uh, Billy, would you kindly take us through the results of the show? Uh, yes, sir, I can do that. Uh, Val Venus defeated Steve Blackman. Uh, 
Uh, D'Lo Brown defeated Mark Henry to win the European Championship. Jeff Jarrett defeated China by disqualification. Uh, the Acolytes beat the Dudley Boys. Ivory defeated Luna. The New Age Outlaws beat Edge and Christian. Al Snow defeated the Big Boss Man in the Kennel for Hell match. X-Buck beat Chris Jericho by disqualification. And finally, Triple H defeated the Big Show, the British Bulldog, Kane, Mankind and The Rock in a six-pack challenge to win the vacant WWF Championship. Billy, thank you very much for that. What did you make of this show? Um, it was a show of... I, I, I don't really know what to make of this show. It's, it's, it's such a tough one to review. There was, there was some good stuff. Don't get me wrong, there was a, a quality match. Um, the crowd was very enthusiastic and hot. There were some matches that, yeah, I, I wish I had never seen. <laughs> and I don't ever want to see again. Um, and there was some big payoffs at the feuds and continuation of feuds. Yeah, I think it was a real mixed bag. I, I, there was at least two or three matches that I really enjoyed on this show and uh, some really low lows, um, <laughs> which we'll get into. Uh, and I think it was quite a slow burner, really. Um, there wasn't a lot to enjoy maybe in the first hour or so. Um, and a lot of the good c- came towards the end with a... One a very notable exception in, in the Kennel from Hell match, which was later in, in the night, but uh, was by no means a uh, a good match or a, a good thing on this show and may well be talked about on the award show as one of the worst things we've seen in wrestling this year. Um, but despite having a low that low, I don't think this was a bad show. I thought this was a decent show that had enough stuff I liked on it. So... Whether that changes by the end of the review, it often does. And I will either feel overwhelmingly more positive about the show, or I'll realise, no, actually, it was shit. Um, we shall see. But uh, before our uh, opening match of the evening, uh, just for a bit of uh, more context to the night, we saw the WWF referees. They were striking outside. Um, so we did have some special referees in pretty much every, well, in every match of the of the, uh, of the card. Um, and our first match with uh, Val Venus, he was taking on Steve Blackburn with uh, Steve Lombardi, or better known as the Brooklyn Brawler, as the referee. Uh Underway, Val Venus quickly gets crotched on the top rope and Blackman takes control. He works over the back a lot uh, before applying a chin lock. Val comes back with a back elbow before hitting some knees and he stops the grind over Blackman. Completely regardless of the damage done to his back, doesn't affect his grinding ability. So he's a true pro. Uh, Blackman comes back uh, and hits a spine buster, but Val comes back with a bulldog and a DDT. That's enough to set up the money shot, which is enough for the win. Just over five minutes of action in this one. Val Venus picking up the win. What do you make of our opener? <laughs> it was nothing really special, was it? It was it was a solid opener from an in-ring point of view, but nothing really of importance considering on TV, you know, they had tried to build this match up with Val Venus stealing uh, Steve Blackman's duffel bag and 
then uh, him getting his duffel bag of weapons back and there were sex toys in it. Highbrow wrestling entertainment, that. <laughs> exactly. It's spot on, Chris. I mean, it's not the it's not the worst thing they've done uh, recently and uh, as the Kennel from Hell match <laughs> can attest to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is a new bar. Like, if anything's really bad, how bad was it? Was it better than the Kennel from Hell? Oh, it can't have been that bad then. Like, yeah. Uh, sorry, go on. No, it's, it's, it was just like, okay, you know, this match, at least it had a feud and a reason to exist on the card. But once uh, Val Venus had beat Blackman, it was just on to the next feud with Mr. Big Jim Dotson, um, head of security, and it looks like him and Blackman are going to have a feud going forward, which, again, is not something I will look forward to, but the crowd reacted, so maybe they're invested, but I'm definitely not. No, I, I don't really have much more to say about this one. I mean, this match wouldn't have looked out of place on Heat before the pay-per-view. It's probably a couple of notches below what I'd like from a pay-per-view opener, but on the whole, it was inoffensive. Um, So it wasn't good, but it wasn't terrible. So it was f- somewhere in the middle pretty average but underwhelming start to the show our second match uh Dio brown taking on mark henry uh henry had tried to uh get out of the match um saying he had some sort of concussion or injury i can't remember what he called it he did have a funny word um after he was slapped backstage by lillian garcia but uh Delo was having none of it. He storms the ring before getting tossed into the post. Uh, but Delo flips over Henry before hitting a sky high, which was understandably not all that high, really. Uh, he got a two, though. Uh, Henry drops on, uh, drops him on uh, the top rope, but Delo knocks him to the floor before hitting a tope. Back inside, Delo gets two off a crossbody before Henry comes back with a slam, uh, before following up with another slam off the top. Delo makes another comeback after hitting a hurricane rana. Uh, before Henry uh, hits an avalanche uh, before climbing up to do the 10 punches, which D'Lo is able to counter with a powerbomb. That sets up the lowdown, which is enough for the win after nine minutes of action. What did you make of this match, D'Lo Brown going over Mark Henry? I really wanted to like this match because I enjoyed the initial hill turn by Mark Henry on D'Lo, it was like generally unexpected. I didn't expect them to go down that route, but for some reason, it just that you said it was nine minutes. Their match, Chris, it felt like it was double that. It was it was a shame because I like D'Lo and I do kind of like Mark Henry. Can sort of you know I'm a ring uh, in ring work rate guy. Um, I shouldn't really like Mark Henry, but for some reason i've actually um enjoyed his hill turn and uh, i thought he's shown some good on-screen presence during it but you know they tried so hard and the crowd just really wasn't into it um thankfully you know d-lo won it was the right result um i you know there's more i see there's more uh potential in D'Lo as the European champion on a lower card, you know. Going forward, I think he'll have some good matches with people. He generally tends to have good matches, but this, I, don't, I think it's probably down to Mark Henry. He's just, he's been in this company three years. 
And from an in-ring point of view, he's just not very good. Uh, he tries. But, like I said, I just I don't think he's that good. And I think they're probably going to give up on him now because he has... He hasn't delivered on the big match with D'Lo, which it should have been, I won't say it's an all-time classic, but it should have been a good match. And But unfortunately, it just didn't live up to expectations, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it did. And I, and I definitely agree. You can't place any of the blame with D'Lo. I think he worked really hard, as he always does, really. Like you say, he often has good matches and often looks like the better worker in his matches when he's working with guys like Henry low down the card. Um, he worked really hard to make this look like a decent match. And I don't think he quite got there. And I don't think it was his fault. Um, yeah, it's hard to know what to do with Mark Henry, really. You can't move him up the card because the in-ring doesn't justify it. And it's not like he's uh, pulling up any trees with his promos. Um, but, <laughs> I mean he's a big dude like <laughs> that's basically the upside there um I, I don't know what to do what you do with him you've you're like he's been around he's been involved and he's been on screen a lot and maybe the output and what you get out of mark henry as a in-ring performer and as a character isn't quite justifying the amount of exposure he's had and it will be interesting to see how they handle that moving forward um, because it is disappointing and I think this match was probably a negative on the night. Moving on to our third match, which is Jeff Jarrett defending his Intercontinental title against China. Uh, we're underway and Jarrett misses a splash against the ropes before crotching China on the post. Back in, China works in a flare flip but before she gets off the top rope, she counters with a small package, which gets two, or May Young and Moolah argue with Jeff from the crowd. China drops Jarrett with an electric chair. Uh, electric chair drops, sorry. Uh, and before he comes back with a sleeper, before she counters out of it with a suplex. She hits a power slam for two and a power bomb, which gets two again. She tries for the Hurricane Rana, but Jarrett hits a power bomb. He goes for the figure four before she shoves him to the floor. She hits a backdrop on him, which lands him on the Spanish table before going for the pedigree. Jarrett reverses in slingshirts into the referee Harvey Whippleman. Miss Kitty then slides a guitar in while the ref's down, but Buddha and Mae Young jump in and beat on Double J while the ref is down. He comes back with a double clothesline. Before Deborah storms out to the ring, shoving Kitty down, hits Jarrett with the guitar. China rolls into the cover, picking up the win and winning the Intercontinental title at the 12 minute mark. But before it's official, Tom Pritchard, he comes out. He's the head referee for the evening and he reverses the decision on account of the interference by Moolah and May. Double J keeps his intercontinental title before China takes out her frustration and the decision on Pritchard. Uh, Billy, what do you make of this match? All the interference, Moolah and May, China with the belt, but having it snatched away from her oh so cruelly. Do you know what? This match, it could have been the shit so it could have fallen apart, but thankfully, the crowd was like really invested in this story. Um, like that, that 
got the best reaction possibly since until the main event. Obviously, that got quite a big reaction, but I think it was due to them obviously pushing the hell out of this on TV. Yeah, okay, it's a male chauvinistic Jeff Jarrett being uh, shit basically all the time, but he's been booked like really strong as as a heel, and I think what helped having in this match really more than anything was there was so many twists and turns there were so many different ways that they got the crowd invested in the story what they were trying to tell in the ring you know you had the may young and fabulous Moolah interference yeah possibly wouldn't have gone down that route but the crowd loved it and the deb return they've been wanting to cheer her for for months so they've obviously decided to go down that route. Um, the only thing that didn't really make a lot of sense to me, and this was on TV a few weeks beforehand, I actually had Stephanie McMahon, a non-wrestler, pin Double J, which was, okay, that took a little bit away from Jarrett, but he regrouped, rebuilt himself back up with some good booking on TV. This isn't going to be a feud of the year, by any stretch, but I think, you know, this match, they did a good job, um, both of them. Um, I was head scab, Dr. Tom, turning over the decision. At least it means the feud's going to continue. I haven't got a problem with it because I think what they had, they did a very good job with. Completely agree. I think uh, this match was way better than it had any right to be, especially when you consider Moolah and May we're going to get involved and we had stuff with the guitar, we had ref bumps and it was just a bit, it sounds like a mess, but it was good. Um, I thought it's probably uh, the best match that uh, Jeff Jarrett's had on pay-per-view, best singles match he's had on one of these pay-per-views where he's always sort of second or third on the card and he normally comes out and sends the crowd to sleep for 10 minutes and <laughs> before he heads to the back and, this wasn't that at all. It, it was quite fun. And I think this is just the dynamic of having China in the mix rather than just some generic lower mid-carder. Um, if you had this exact match, maybe with sort of less of the uh, Moolah May interference and stuff like that against any mid-carder, any lower mid-carder in the Fed at the minute, the crowd are going to be half as invested as they are when it's China, I think that brings a different dynamic. And I think this was more fun and more watchable and definitely had the crowd more invested than pretty much any Jarrett match I've seen this year. So this was good. Um, and it definitely justified having the feud continue. It didn't stink out the joint or any, by any means. And it's one of the feuds coming off the cards that I would say, yeah, I, uh, I want more of this. Um, which doesn't happen elsewhere on the show all that often. So, uh, yeah, a big thumbs up from me. We move on to a tag match between the Alkalites and the Dudley Boys, making their WWF pay-per-view debuts. We're underway and Bubba gets Flapjack, but he blocks a charge and hits a senton. Lawler, uh, completely uninterested in this match still laughing away and cracking jokes about Moolah and may from the previous match um so that takes away from it somewhat uh, the dudleys uh hit a nice double team neck breaker in the ring before 
Uh, Bradshaw comes in and backdrop super, uh, hits a backdrop superplex on Devon for two. Uh, the Dudleys uh, hit 3D, but and Bubba pops right up into a clothesline from hell uh, from Bradshaw. Stevie Richards then sneaks in. He hits Devon with a super kick, which is enough to give the Acolytes the win after seven minutes. Stevie, who is dressed like an Acolyte, is offered a handshake by Farouk, who just destroys him with a clothesline instead. What do you make of this? The Dudleys' first pay-per-view match in the Fed. Big signing from ECW. We know how popular they are with one of our own, Chris Lacey on ECW. Big signing in the tag division. The Dudley's first match. This is what we get. Yeah, I actually expected this match to be, uh, you know, a lot of fun. I thought, yeah, four big lads. They were going to, you know, at least want to clobber the hell out of one another. But unfortunately, it seemed like Bradshaw and Farouk were quite up for having a good match. Which is a bit of a shocker, huh? You know, no surprise. They're a team from ECW. And, you know, these boys, the Dudleys, you know, they can certainly hold their own. They're not like the public enemy, you know. Public enemy are pure gimmicks. You know, I'm sure the Dudleys can take care of themselves in the ring. So Bradshaw and Farouk, you know, maybe weren't up for stiffening them as much as I thought that would happen here, no. Uh, it's just, it's it's a bit of a shame because you've signed the Dudleys. You know the big name from ECW, they big big act, and they get treated like this. It's 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 not right. It, it angered me more than anything. For some reason, WWF have this obsession with making acts that were over elsewhere into nothing once they arrived in the Fed. So they can just repackage them or fire them once they mean nothing. They can no longer draw their money, which is wrong. And to say the booking of this match, just to go 10 minutes and to have both teams beat the living hell out of one another, you could have even had the Acolytes beat the Dudleys because surely that would have done more for the Dudleys than having a boring match which the Dudleys, unfortunately, lost convincingly. Yeah, it was a disappointing pay-per-view debut. Uh, I think, uh, as I say, Aura and Chris Lacey won't have been best pleased watching on. And uh, I'm not best pleased. Um, The positivity from the uh, tag match we had on the SummerSlam show last month, the uh, New Brood versus Edge and Christian, which was a great match. And, you're thinking, oh, now we've got the Dudleys in the mix. Those three teams, really cool. Um, for all their faults, the Outlaws, um, they're over with the crowd. If they're in the ring, you're going to have an invested crowd in the match. Like you got, you could have the Outlaws working with these teams, and the Tag Division might actually be looking up, Billy. Like that's what I thought. <laughs> How naive was I? Because they just have this dross for the Dudleys, and it's so disappointing. And we have Stevie coming in with his nice little gimmick of imitating wrestlers and that overshadows the Dudley's pay-per-view debut and I'm not saying it's not like I mean this what they've done with the Dudley's on this show is by no means as much as a crime as how they handled the signing of the giant for example yeah but it's still a misuse of an act that you could have got so much out of right out of the gate and at some stage is going to come back to bite them because they're going to 
misuse the wrong act and like they don't they don't learn like it seems like if an actor's got over and been really successful somewhere then the fed resent that when the act is then theirs but like when you look at like the top of their card stone cold steve austin and like (laughs) triple h like both have been elsewhere both have had tv time for the rivals for the competition but because they weren't over like once they're in the fed and repackaged like full steam ahead but these guys that have come in and did well elsewhere they want to undercut and it it doesn't make any sense because they're yours now like get the most out of them you can and i mean there's a long way to go with the dudleys and i'm sure things will improve from this night but I don't know that I'd have just jobbed them out on pay-per-view after a Stevie super kick, to be honest. I think that's, I think that's bad. I think that's misuse of a, a really good act. Um, so I was disappointed with this one. We move on and onto a match that I'm not going to spend too much time covering because, (laughs) (laughs) because I want to stay sane. Uh, We had a WWF women's title match with Ivory defending against Luna in a hardcore match. Uh, We start in the back with Ivory attacking Luna from behind. They brawl into an office. Luna slams her into a copy machine before making some copies. Ivory puts Luna's head in the trash, but Luna comes back and hits a slam and some boxes. She hits the splash for two before Tori runs in and saves Luna from a pole shot. Ivory just shoves her aside, grabs the pole, uses it anyway, picks up the win after just three minutes. Ivory retains her WWF women's title. Billy, what do you make of this women's hardcore match? We didn't have enough hardcore wrestling in the WWF. So now we have women's <laughs> hardcore wrestling in the WWF. What was the point? Seriously. You know, they spent all that time on TV building it up and they gave them all the three minutes, it was nothing more than a backstage angle. Yeah. You could have just done this match on Raw, and I wouldn't have had a problem with it, but you're making people pay to see this match. I think that's what I had a problem with. Uh, it was a shit payoff, and it annoyed me. <laughs> it really annoyed me. It's like, why give them three minutes when you could have given an extra three minutes to... It's fucking Jericho. You can give an extra three minutes to the Outlaws and Edge and Christian match. What was the point? Yeah, uh, I don't have anything positive to say. It wasn't like so bad that it's like an absolute like detriment to the show. It wasn't like unbelievably terrible. It was just a waste of my time. Um, shouldn't have been on the show. If you're gonna do it give it more than three minutes and make it more than just sort of something that would happen, like you say, happen on raw and immediately be, for- be forgotten about. This is a show that people are paying for. Um, and as such, people deserve more than a throwaway raw angle. Um, disguised as a women's title match. Um, I'm not saying they could get loads out of Ivory V Luna, but you could damn sure get more than three minutes of office shots. Uh, yeah. Uh, so with that, we move on to the WWF tag team title match with the New Age Outlaws taking on Edge and Christian in a match thrown together on Heat earlier in the evening. Uh, 
We open with a fairly routine formula tag match with Rhodey fa- playing the face in peril. Uh, neither of these teams, uh, I think they're both babyface, but um, just the crowd were more into the uh, outlaws and it just seemed the match sort of took the structure of the outlaws playing the faces and Edge and Christian somewhat uh, the uh, the heels. Um, JR and uh, the King, well, Lawler in particular is still um, cracking jokes about May and uh, Mueller from earlier. And I think JR's a little distracted because when Rhodey comes back with a crossbody, JR says a nice crossbody on Christopher there instead of Christian. Um, Edge and Christian cut off the tag from Rhodey before he can get to Billy. Uh, but Rhodey blocks a spleen broad move before hitting a double DDT. Billy gets the hot tag before hit, taking a reverse DDT from Christian. The new brood then run in and they attack Edge and Christian behind the ref's back. Jeff Hardy hits Edge with a Michelle dropkick, which sets up a famous surf from Billy, allowing the Outlaws to retain their tag titles. Uh, what did you make of the tag titles, Billy? It's finally, we got what was a resemblance of a decent match. Um, obviously, with the Outlaws, them hitting an average, <laughs> having an average match, is a good thing. You know, they've had some stinkers over the years, but, you know, they've got some good young teams to work with in Edge and Christian, who aren't exactly over yet, but they're really good workhorses. And I think they, they, uh, they, tro- they got a good match out of the Outlaws. And I think the Outlaws were motivated to work with this young, hungry tag team. And it was good to see. Obviously, the crowd... It was a little bit tough to start, but they finally sort of got into the action and seemed to be like popping for both teams towards the end. It, it was a good match, decent match. The finish helped to protect Edge and Christian, who didn't lose clean to the team. Whatever you think about them, they're the most over team in modern day WWF by far. Um, and obviously we're setting up a Hardys and Edge and Christian feud. Now, I don't think that's going to be for the tag team titles, but as a secondary feud for tag teams in the WWF, this is a positive sign. Yeah, and I've said it before, um, and I know I wasn't best pleased with the use of the Dudleys in the match earlier on the show, but it really is like a whole new company when you compare the state of the tag division now to 12 months ago and we go back to me at the turn of the year in December on our end of year show nominating the tag division for the uh, Wahoo <laughs> the Wahoo award uh, for was it unbearable shitness is that, I think is that, it was unbearable shitness unbearable yeah. shitness and 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 I mean when I when I put it in there I know there were some people who didn't agree with me but by the end of my argument people did agree that last year the WWF tag division was unbearably shit. I don't think we're, we're, we're very far away from that now. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better. Teams like Edge and Christian are so much better than anything they had last year. Um, and I do think the Outlaws are a positive, positive thing for the tag division and uh, because they're recognisable and they're over. And if they've got these young teams to work with, it'll be a good thing. The match itself... Um, Nothing to write home about necessarily. Quite a formulaic tag match. The kind of thing you'd expect from the Outlaws, really. Um, 
but they i was pleased they um even though it's a bit of a cop-out finish i was pleased that edge and christian didn't lose clean and their feud with the new brood matt hardy and jeff hardy can continue because that's a match i'd like to see more of and a combination i'd like to see more of moving forward so before we get to our next match i'm going to talk about one of our little backstage segments here so we had michael cole uh, talking to the big boss man backstage. Cole asked the boss man if he regretted all the terrible things he'd done to Al Snow and Al Snow's dog, Pepper. Um, not much to highlight from the interview, really, but boss man did promise us, which I wanted to highlight and note, listener, this is a line you must you must remember. Boss man promised us that the upcoming Kennel from Hell match was something that we would never forget. <laughs> With that, we do move in to the first ever and God, I hope last ever kennel from hell match. Uh, so we have a regular cage surrounding the ring with the hell in the cell surrounding that in between. We have a bunch of hungry Rottweilers. They're vicious. They're mean, evil Rottweilers, these dogs in the cage. And to win, you have to escape both cages. And, uh, so we're underway. Uh, going to try and keep this on as much of the action as possible. Um, <laughs> Uh, not the Sorry. quite soft and soppy looking dogs on the outside defecating, pissing and and humping. Um, so we uh, we're underway and Al tries to lock Bossman outside the blue cage as the handlers bring down the dogs. Um, Bossman climbs up the cage to escape the dogs and he and Al fight on top before Al drops down in between the cages. The handlers are then holding back the dogs, which pretty much negates the purpose of having dogs in the first place. Snow runs away from them to the cell door, but instead of going out, instead of trying to escape, which is the point of the match, he climbs up the cell so Bossman can yank him back into the cage. Bossman cuffs him and knocks him around for a bit before being ever the perfect tactician he had the foresight to bring wire cutters he cuts a hole in the top of the cage but Al Snow slaps his cuffs and crotches boss man he pulls head out of a bag and nails boss man with it boss man goes up the cage and literally sits there and waits for Al to kick his way out of the cage while hanging from the mesh <sighs> not that there's any real danger from the dogs but he was clearly trying to avoid them but the dogs on the other side of the ring paying absolutely no attention to either men inside the cage and just like i say there's urination there's defecation the dogs could <laughs> less interested the dogs couldn't be less vicious the dogs are paying no attention to what's going on snow kicks through the door and escapes mercifully bringing the match to a close al snow is winner after 11 minutes now, I'm not going to defend this match because it was bad, but it was really bad. It was really bad, okay? I have two questions. First, you can take them in any order you like. The first one is, what are your thoughts on this match? Which, I'll leave that one, I'll leave that one with you. The second one is, when it comes to worst match of the year, and I know this will be in the discussion, and maybe it should be, but was this even the worst sell match? That the big boss man has been in this year, because I don't think. Oh, I've got to stop laughing first. What was the first question? What did you make of this match? No, you're just gonna start laughing again when you think of it. Oh no! <laughs> right, okay. Um, I don't know how to honestly review this match. I really don't. Um, first off, 
the match was hilariously bad. You'd expect it to be with dogs humping, pissing and shitting all over the place. Uh, <laughs> honestly, this was... This was <laughs> the, the gimmick, uh, the idea for the gimmick... Right, I've, I've contained myself, I've, I've calmed down now. But, <laughs> they, Bossman and Elso really did try quite hard in the ring. They generally did. They bled, they took big bumps... Uh, you know, the big suplex off the top of the cage. But whatever they did, it just didn't matter. Because the crowd was laughing more than I was, so they just didn't care. Some of them. I just couldn't stop laughing. Um, it was a, it was probably a good idea on paper. They probably thought, yeah, you know, vicious dogs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's not go that far. <laughs> There's a big guy, no, no, come on. Vicious okay, dogs, it was... <sighs> cage. Head in the cell. Ah, oh, this is going to be money. We're going to be Stone Cold versus Triple H in a kennel from hell. WrestleMania 2000. Book it. <laughs> but no, this this idea was not executed properly <laughs> whatsoever because it was just so funny. You got, you know, like you said, Chris, the dogs were just. I don't, I don't, I just <laughs> out of honestly review this match because it was just a comedy of errors <laughs> and it was a poorly executed idea the talent tried hard in the ring but <laughs> how can you have a deep how can you have a serious match really when it's built all up over boss man feeding his uh Elso, his dog to him which made him sick which you know, I, I like dogs, but you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, what's I mean, the, what was the second part of the question? I can't stop thinking about how funny this was. I, my, it's a loaded question because I have very much have an opinion on it. But do you think this was worse than the Big Boss Man versus the Undertaker at WrestleMania? Um, the Hell in a Cell match uh, we had this year. Okay, so that was. Generally, very, very bad match. Like, not much really happened in it. And it's a cell match. It's a big-time gimmick. WWF have gone up above and beyond to make that a big-time gimmick. So, yeah, that under-delivered. This match delivered, like, five stars for comedy. (laughs) Um, Negative stars for... Execution, <laughs> negative five stars for the execution, and you know WWF, please don't ever try this again, please, because you know if you're gonna get rabid dogs, just don't have them humping each other or shitting and pissing at ringside, because it was just it was pure comedy, pure comedy. So look, here's is something that when I sat down to watch this show, I didn't think. On this podcast, I would be defending the Kennel from Hell match. Go on, Chris. Try it. Try it. I'm going to try. And I'm not saying that it wasn't terrible because it was. It was so clearly terrible. But what I want to point out is that it's this, it's all in the stipulation. Like, the dog's there urinating, doing their business. Like, it was honestly like watching an episode of South Park parodying a wrestling match. 
like that you brought these dogs to ringside and they just start pissing and shitting. The worst part of this match was the stipulation and the stupid storyline to build to it. Like you say, like this match is a match built around the fact that someone killed a dog and fed it to his owner. <laughs> like, and then this is the stipulation we get. But what Al Snow and Big Boss Man did in the ring in those cages was less offensive to me than what was meant to be a serious match at WrestleMania, a Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Boss Man. The end of that match was more offensive and more damaging to my enjoyment of a show than this because ultimately this was just fucking hilarious like <laughs> like it was as bad as wrestling can get but Al Snow and the boss man's percentage of blame for that is so minimal like it doesn't matter who the wrestlers are when you have this storyline and this stipulation this is the best you're gonna get like whoever booked this match should never book a match again (laughs) it's terrible but i think i genuinely think it was like as good as it could have been like i don't know what you hope for when you get dogs around the cage obviously you hope they don't start humping and defecating everywhere but like there's handlers there so even when someone goes near the dogs that the dogs are held back so it didn't really matter anyway so in itself this match was always going to be stupid and i think the fact that this will al snow and the boss man are going to be remembered for parts of this feud because of how bad it was and they're going to be remembered the boss man was right when he said that we will never forget the kennel from hell he's right unfortunately he was right for all the wrong reasons, but he was right. And I think it's unfair to both men who did like probably as little wrong as they could have done in this match that probably at this stage in the WWF, in these runs, the most memorable thing that either man will do is this match because I don't think it's their fault. I don't. And Maybe that's not quite enough to save it from a match of the worst match of the year discussion. Christ, I need to say match of the year discussion <laughs> <laughs> to save it from a worst match of the year discussion. But in terms of like build and stipulation, I think you got about what you expected to get out of this. If anything, it was funnier. But a match like the Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania, where you expect something serious and something so much more and you get that finish and a man literally being hung like that to me is worse because you expect more out of it so the net sort of weight of what you receive is so much lower i don't know i'm trying really hard this was terrible it was so bad but so funny that like i don't think i've laughed as much as anything on the pay-per-view in my life (laughs) it's even better with the sound off (laughs) Oh my god, it's so good. And like this is what I mean. If you're watching this as a wrestling match and you're gonna mark the show down, but if you're watching a show for entertainment, like does that mean that this is a is a plus? Like <laughs> I was entertained for all the wrong reasons as a wrestling fan, but it was entertaining because it was so ridiculously stupid. So 
I have really mixed thoughts about this, and but the mixed thoughts aren't that this wasn't just absolute garbage and one of the worst things I've ever seen, because it very much was. <laughs> but you couldn't have hoped for more, is what I'm trying to say. So uh, moving on from that chaotic debacle, um, we have uh, Chris Jericho. He's here to take on X-Pac. Uh, Ken Shamrock, it would have been originally, but he's been written off with a, an injury. But uh, in reality, he's prepared. He's uh, left the WWF, uh, preparing to return to shoot fighting. So uh, uh, Chris Jericho here taking on the replacement, which is X-Pac. So we're underway and we get a quick series of reversals before X-Pac avoids a Bronco Buster. He makes X-Pac chase him around the ring and then kicks him on the way back in. X-Pac goes for the X-Factor, but Jericho counters with a spine buster. Uh, X-Pac tosses him to the floor and hits a springboard cannonball before uh, the bodyguard, uh, Curtis Hughes, nails X-Pac in full view of referee Tom Pritchard. No DQ, though. Back in, Jericho catches X-Pac with a tilt-to-wheel backbreaker and the fans get distracted by something, which I still actually have no idea what it was. Uh, but the fans are very much distracted, so Jericho just kills the action dead with a chin lock until they start paying attention again. When the crowd's finally back with dueling Jericho sucks and X-Pac sucks chance, X-Pac fights out of the chin lock and hits a spinning kick. He, fights, uh, he hits Hughes with a dive and back in. Jericho blocks a Bronco Buster with a boot. It's a backbreaker. It only gets two, so Jericho gets frustrated and goes up top. X-Pac catches him on there and hits a superplex, but can't capitalize immediately before putting uh, Jericho in the tree of row and finally hitting a Bronco Buster. Hughes has seen enough. He runs in and he decks Tom Pritchard for the DQ after 30 minutes. Billy, a uh, much better match in terms of action, but uh, a pretty crappy finish. Yeah, I think I'm going to be able to actually honestly review this match without laughing and stumbling over my words because of, of so much comedy that was happening. But uh, these these two tried really hard to try and pick up the crowd. You know, uh, it's X-Punk versus Chris Jericho. You know, that's a, a pretty big match in this era of wrestling. You know, that's two really good performers. You expect them to go out all hammer and tongs and give us something to really say, well, that you, this was clearly, you know, match of the night kind of level of performance. But unfortunately, due to whatever was happening in the crowd, Jericho had to sort of kill the match dead and put on chin locks and rest holds and whatnot. Now, I've got no problem with them doing that every now and again, but it seemed like they were doing that longer because of what was happening in the crowd. And that is a genuine shame because these two could have really had a great match that you could have put up and said that was a match of the year candidate, but it just didn't evolve into that. Uh, I didn't like the finish. Obviously, the lame DQ finish, you know, Chris, you pointed out that Mr. Hughes um, interfered earlier on and that was not a DQ, but then later on, that's definitely a DQ. And we sort of touched on it earlier with the Dudleys and how they've been treated. Now, Chris Jericho is fresh into the company. Um, he's been there about a month and a half now, I'd say. Yeah. And they seem to have big plans for him. Now, if I rightfully remember, um, they're talking about putting 
Chris Jericho in a featured match at this at next year's WrestleMania. So wouldn't it have made more sense for Chris Jericho to beat X-Pac, who on TV, X-Pac that is, has been doing really nothing. He's been getting beaten up by The Undertaker a lot. And his friendship with Kane is strained at best. So X-Pac is basically in a mid-card position if you're trying to put Jericho on the level of an upper mid-carder then he should have really gone over here but for whatever reason like with the Dudleys why did Jericho not just win clean would it have not made more sense for them to do that yeah I, I agree with you I think Jericho probably should have won this match clean and it I don't know if it is just the fear of giving the guy you've just got from WCW too much too soon that like it was definitely a detriment to me. I think like con- like you say considering X-Pac's position and his like his sort of on-off strained friendship with Kane and all of that you could have very easily just had Jericho beat him here and it would have been fine. It wouldn't have hurt him too drastically and I, I think he should have done it. I think it would have been a plus for the show um, and we'd have had a clean finish. And I, 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 I mean, I think it would have been more fitting of the match these two guys put on because it was a it was a fun match. It was enjoyable. Um, and the finish did let it down some, somewhat. So I would have definitely had Jericho pick up a win here. Um, but obviously it was not to be. So with that, we move on to our coverage of the main event of the evening for the vacant WWF Championship. Let I let me remind you, it's vacant after Vince McMahon vacated it because no way could Vince be taking a pinfall to someone. Um, so we have Triple H uh, taking on Mankind, taking on The Rock, taking on the British Bulldog versus The Big Show versus Kane in a six-way. It's a six-pack challenge, so. The rules, um, two guys are allowed in at once and you have to tag in. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's quite an odd stipulation, but there we go. We also have Stone Cold Steve Austin as our special guest enforcer. So we're underway and The Rock smacks Bulldog around for a while before doing the same to Triple H until Kane tags himself in. Kane knocks Big Show off the apron, so Show comes back and shoves him off the top rope. Mankind tries his luck in the ring with Kane. Uh, but Big Show tags himself in and uh, goes after Kane himself. Kane hits an enziguri on Show, following up with a drop kick. Bulldog tags in and hits a vertical suplex on The Rock. Mankind refuses to tag in against his friend The Rock, so he tags right back out to Kane. Kane tries to chokeslam Mankind, but Kane goes. Uh, sorry, Mankind kicks him low. Uh, Triple H tags in and he hits Mankind all over the place before The Rock goes out and chases him down. Mankind turns the tide and hits a pile driver on Hunter on the steps uh, before Kane and The Rock go at it on the other side of the ring. Show and Kane trade blows as uh, the referees who had been striking struck down to the ring. Uh, big Show hits a big back elbow on Mankind, but The Rock makes a save. Rock fires off a few shots and knocks Big Show down with a clothesline. Uh, back in the ring, Kane hits a tombstone on <coughs> Mankind and Show makes a blind tag. Signals for the choke slam, but Kane hits a flying clothesline to break it up. 
Uh, alliances break down in the match when Hunter hits Pellegrini on Bulldog before Mankind tosses uh, Hunter and hits the, uh, uh, and pulls out the sock before hitting the rock with the mandible claw with Mr. Socko. Rock comes back and hits a rock bottom, but Hunter saves the title. Big Show clears the ring and gives Mankind another chokeslam. Uh, and we have a very close uh, 2.9 count as the striking referees pull out uh, Jimmy Calderas uh, and beat the hell out of him before he can count the three. Austin leaves the announced position and destroys all of the striking ref. Uh, uh, that leaves uh, Triple H and The Rock uh, in the ring together. Rock hits the people's uh, DDT. Austin returns to the ring uh, to replace uh, Calderas. We get the rock bottom and the people's elbow, but show and mankind pull Austin out before he can counter free. Show tries to chokeslam Austin, but Austin kicks him low to counter. Bulldog sneaks in, hits Rock with a chair. He's about to hit Hunter too, but Austin takes the chair away from him and smashes Bulldog. Austin nails a Bulldog, but Hilsley nails a pedigree on the run. And Austin, it's nothing Austin can do but count the furry. Damn it. That allows Hunter to take advantage, hitting a pedigree, which is enough for the win. Triple H reclaims his WWF title after around 20 minutes. Billy, what did you make of our main event? Uh, This match actually generally surprised me. I expected it to be an absolute cluster because they really didn't explain the rules beforehand. But thankfully, you know, they decided to add this tag stipulation because if they didn't, like I said, it would have been all out cluster. It just you wouldn't have been able to keep up with what was going on. Yeah, you know, I could sit here and bury it because you've added the tag stipulation to it. Because, in theory, why would a guy that has an advantage in the match tag out to let someone else in that could possibly get a free count to become the WWF champion? That, to me, is a bit strange. But I can't roll with it because, you know, most WWF main events these days do tend to be you know, a walking brawl, basically. You know, they just brawl over the building and then you have your hot sequence at the end. So it was nice for once, you know, they didn't decide to go that route with all six men for 20-odd minutes brawling all over the shot because they just wouldn't have been able to keep up. Um, I suppose my only problem with it, it was the finish. You know, why bother taking the belt off of Hunter 12 days earlier? If he's just going to win it back 12 days later, I don't quite understand that. Wouldn't it have just made more sense to have Hunter go in as champion, beat all the top contenders apart from Austin, and then it would have set up the Austin-Triple H match perfectly for Survivor Series because Hunter would be looking really strong going into that match. And obviously... You know, Austin is clearly going to beat Hunter. I think that's a pretty damn obvious, you know, going forward. It would make Austin look stronger, but for whatever reason, they decided to not go down that route. But as for the match itself, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And like there was a lot of action going on at the end with the striking referees. That was good stuff. And uh, I never got bored watching this match. Yeah, uh, definitely not boring. Wild match and a number of different uh, story narrative threads uh, sort of intersecting at once. Um, 
despite the slightly convoluted tag stipulation, it's probably one of my favourite WWF pay-per-view matches, definitely the last couple of months. Um, I, I really did enjoy this, and I do I do quite enjoy like a, a multi-person match um, when you've got sort of a whole load of main eventers in there like this, and I think that makes for quite interesting dynamics, and you get a lot of little flashes and glimpses of matches that you want to see more of down the line, and you can like I say, weave narratives throughout the match and cross feuds and rivalries over. And I think they did that really well. And they, it was like completely frantic. Um, the action was nonstop. And that's another thing you get with a match like this, where you can move from spot to spot to spot because guys can take a move, take a big move, be involved in a high spot, roll out, someone else comes in another spot and so on. And you can repeat that for 20 minutes. And, uh, I mean, it can be overkill, but for me, this one towed the line well and stayed the right side of it. I definitely agree with you, though, Billy. Like, the whole stuff, it makes... Having Hunter win the belt back here, it makes the idea of Vince beating him and winning the title and vacating it weeks prior just even more ridiculous. Just keep the belt on Hunter. And I know, I know Austin was the one who cost... Triple H the belt, but again, no matter how Austin feels about Triple H, should he be winning Vince McMahon the WWF title? No, and it doesn't make any sense. And then Austin's obviously involved in this match, and Hunter's picking up the win here. So if you want to cost Hunter the match so much, why are you giving Vince McMahon the belt two weeks ago, but then when you're an enforcer in a main event two weeks later? You do nothing to sort of show any bias against Hunter and Hunter ends up winning. That That's an inconsistent character there from Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then you don't need to make Stone Cold Steve Austin inconsistent. He's the simplest character you need to book. He doesn't trust anyone. He doesn't have many friends and he's just going to stun everybody. And like, it's, it's like, <laughs> that's all you need. Like it, it's fine. It's perfect. And but having that inconsistent one week, he's costing Hunter the belt and giving his former arch nemesis, Vince McMahon, a WWF title reign. A couple of weeks later, he's a special enforcer at a pay-per-view and he's not, he doesn't do anything sort of against Hunter and quite happily sees Hunter win the match. And um, I didn't like that aspect of it, but in terms of a pay-per-view main event, really good um, for me. I liked the action a lot, a lot of, memorable moments and memorable flashpoints and hopefully they uh, avoid any sort of big curveballs between now and the big match with uh, Austin and Triple H because I don't need another Vince McMahon title reign between now and then Um, so that will do it for our review of Unforgiven Um, Billy uh, what are your overall sort of thoughts and assessments of this show and a score rating out of 10 um do you know what? After doing that review, I think I uh, might have changed my opinion on this show. I sort of said it was a mixed bag at the beginning. Um, there was a lot of bad stuff on this. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not going to put the kennel from hell in there because that was just so hilariously bad that it was good. Um, there was some solid wrestling matches like the Outlaws versus Ed and Christian and Regardless of the finish to Jericho and X-Pac, they really did have a really good match and the main event was fun. 
So if I was to give this a score rate, and I think I'm just going to score rate it down the middle and say five out of ten. I, I yeah I I do think it it is fair to say that Unforgiven was a very mixed bag. I mean we had a we had the boring like the opening match and in terms of a match uh, the kennel from hell appalling um, but hilarious. But I mean the tag title match was decent. X Pac Jericho despite the finish was good. The main event was fun. Um, none of the positives were enough to make Unforgiven a must see show. But I do think if you listen to the podcast, if you're a wrestling fan, if you're a WWF fan, you need to go watch the Kennel from Hell match because it needs to be seen to be believed. And you're not going to enjoy the match. You're going to be appalled at how bad that wrestling match is. But you have to go watch it because it's a spectacle that, I mean, if the WWF do book another Kennel from Hell match, then like more for them but i can't imagine we'll be seeing another one of these anytime soon it's a unique moment in wrestling history that has to be seen to be believed so with that in mind you've got to go out of your way to watch this show i would watch the kennel from hell match and i would watch the main event so there are boring shows that have less to offer that i would recommend you steer clear that are probably less offensive than this show and on the on the whole probably have better work rate but don't have something like the kennel from hell which is so bad it has to be seen to be believed so i reckon a five out of ten is a very fair score for this because it's not a good show but you have to see it so for me five out of ten for unforgiven 1999 And the final Raw of the month kicked off with the announcement that the referee strike was over following intervention by Mr. McMahon. Triple H came out for a promo, celebrating his WWF title win the night prior. This brought up Bulldog, who claimed he and Hunter had a deal, meaning whoever didn't win the gold at Unforgiven would get a shot on Raw. Hunter went back on the deal before he and China took Bulldog out. Vince ordered that Triple H would defend his title against The Rock. The Big Show vs Chris Jericho ended by a DQ following interference from Albert. Backstage afterwards, Rodog went after Jericho. Backstage, Stevie Richards approached Mick Foley. Richards asked Foley if he could borrow the Dude Love gimmick for a night, a request Foley happily granted. Steve Austin came out to express his displeasure at not getting a shot at the title. He called up Mr. McMahon, who explained Austin would get a title shot at no mercy. D'Lo retained the European title against Steve Blackman by a DQ after Blackman attacked with a kendo stick. In a segment we'll talk about in more detail on the main show, Mankind presented The Rock with an episode of This Is Your Life. The New Age Outlaws defending their tag titles against Kane and X-Pac ends via DQ after interference from the Hollies. A handicapped evening gal match sees Ivory facing Mae Young and the fabulous Moolah. What will they think of next? The seniors even picked up the win after Moolah was able to disrobe Ivory. China defeated Jeff Jarrett after she was KO'd with a guitar shot that fell on top of Double J. And Triple H defended his WWF title against The Rock in a wild brawl with Steve Austin on commentary. The match ended in a no contest following a stunner from Austin on Hunter, Bulldog attacking The Rock and leaving him laying. So before we wrap up the show, there is one last uh, segment I would like to talk about from the uh, TV's uh, 
uh, and it, it took place on the Raw, the night after Unforgiven. You mentioned it earlier on the show, and it, it was a, a fantastic segment, so I'd like to talk about it in slightly more detail. So we had Mankind come down to the ring on Raw. He's uh, attempting to make amends with The Rock after uh, attacking him the previous night at Unforgiven, as we just covered in our main event. So The Rock came down to the ring, uh, intrigued to see what this was all about. And uh, Foley, Mankind, had prepared an episode of This Is Your Life for The Rock. And this segment really is must-see. You've got to go out of your way to watch this segment. Foley brought out The Rock's sixth-grade home economics teacher, who was eventually sick packing by The Rock. Uh, the Rock's high school football coach was out next and he too was sent on his way. Uh, the Rock's high school sweetheart um, and uh, was there too. Mankind brought out another surprise, uh, pulling out matching ja- matching jackets for the pair that read Rock and Sock Connection across the back. And uh, Mankind revealed one's last surprise, which was the uh, clown who was present during the birth of uh, Socko. Uh, <laughs> the Rock blew her off too. But Mankind didn't like that too much. And uh, the segment was brought to an end as uh, Triple H ran to the ring with a sledgehammer and went after the uh, people's champ, The Rock. But Billy, um, I mean, we'll play some audio of the segment in on the podcast and uh, listeners really must go out their way to see this segment. But this is your life, Mankind, The Rock. What do you make of it? It was just good stuff or not for you? Oh, very good stuff. Um, I found Rock and Mankind, uh, all of this month to be one of the most entertaining and intriguing part of the shows. Um, for instance, like The Rock has always been, for me personally, not a very likeable person. Yeah, he's cool and he talks a lot of trash and whatnot, but he's a bit of a bully, really. He, sp- he speaks to people in a horrible way. And I think that's, uh, you know, that is why he's unlikable. Now, with Mick, you know, he's trying to bring out a more of a likable side in The Rock, which I didn't think was possible. You know, both of them seem to have great acting chops, you know. They both seem to be able to make what could have been on paper, you know, this segment could have... Like so it could have been could it could have been terrible, but they really made something great out of it. And like the entire month they've just been such an entertaining part of the show. And now I think Rock he isn't as much as a bully to mankind. He is sort of a, a soft spot to him. And Mick's a lovable loser, so it all sort of works. Um I hope that this short run that they've had together isn't over because from the looks of it on TV, it looking like it might be over. And that's a bit of a shame because both of them have generally been the most entertaining parts of the show. And this whole segment, which was very, very long and ate up a considerable amount of TV time, but it was never boring. And I was just smiling through the entire thing because I think both of them did a tremendous job with what they were given. And 
I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing, you know, where they go next with all of this. I, I really am. Obviously, like I said, I don't think it's going to lead to them being a full-time team, but have some sort of friendship with the two going forward. Yeah, I, I'm all in on that. Yeah, it was a... Uh, uh... Just a fantastic segment, um, really entertaining, and like, it, it, you're right, it did humanise the Rock a bit, and sort of brings out that likable side of his character. And Mankind is always going to be somewhat of a sweetheart for the for the wrestling fan because it's it's Mick Foley, and like you've got to love Mick Foley and everything he's done over the years, and like uh, I just his promo work and his work on the mic, and he's he's so endearing, um, and to give part of that sort of endearing rub to the rock is really important. And I think this partnership does that. And this segment is just a culmination of that. And it is at its very best um, in this segment. One of the most entertaining segments from the WWS TV this month, probably one of the most entertaining segments from the WWS TV in 1999 so far. Um, Really good way. Um, It wasn't, obviously like a main event segment on on that episode of raw but a really high point to uh bring to a close a month of uh tv because uh i i really did enjoy it and i think generally speaking it has been quite a uh chaotic month of wwf tv but it's been a good month of wwf tv and i think it's been despite the kennel from hell <laughs> i would say september 99 was a good month for the WWF. And with that, I think we'll bring to a close our uh, WWF September 99 coverage and bring to a close this episode of the show. So, uh, Billy, thank you for bearing with me. I know we uh, rescheduled this a couple of times and uh, thanks for being so flexible with that and bringing your excellent contributions to the listener. Well, Chris, you're too kind. You know it's not excellent. It's terrible every time. Uh, Thank you once again for letting me on. Uh, always uh, appreciate it yeah it's always a pleasure having you on and uh thank you very much for listening dear listener uh it's uh um yeah again apologies the show is a little bit late this month but we do get it to you uh on time or or not but uh outside circumstances meant we had to push the recording of this back a little bit and uh just unfortunately sort of our regular everyday lives do get in the way of bringing this show to you maybe as often on time as we'd like especially when it comes to me um but uh yeah just glad to get it in the books uh because obviously we will always cover every month for each promotion but yeah thank you for bearing with us while we got the show together and thank you very much for listening Uh, i've been your host chris white and until next time goodbye it's no secret the rock he loves pie but the rock just has one thing to say to you Poontang your ass on out of here. Ah! Oh! I can't believe it. Well, Mix, uh, this is your life. It's not going extremely well yet. There's more. Uh, Somebody's on that blanket. Hey. Well, the blanket's moving. I hope there's a human being underneath there. Rock. This is going to wear Rock out before his title match. Rock, I swear I didn't know this was going to work out. 
The Rock says this, if you would shut up and shut your mouth and just listen, because they are chanting The Rock's name. Who's under the blanket? So that I'm kind of curious about. I had no way of knowing that your home economics teacher was going to be a bitch. (laughs) I had no way of knowing that your football coach would be such a jerk. And I certainly didn't know that your old girlfriend would be a complete skank. (laughs) Next try. I just want to make this night special. and, And David, it's going to be because we are going to open up the people's presents. Yeah, he's trying to bribe him presents. Open up this bad boy, Rock. Come on. Open it up. Hey. Nice jacket. Oh, the Rock Rock and Sock Connection. Mixed been a lot of money on this party. It's black and gold. Like it. Come on. People are saying we don't look enough like a team. Wait a minute. So just man. whip this bad boy on. Mankind's got one for himself. Well, Mankind thinks they're a team. He thinks they're together. Oh, because boy. they are chanting our name. Rock and sock. Rock and sock. Rock and sock. Here we are. He's got another present. Mankind thinks they're closer than 19 is. It gets even better. The night just keeps getting better and better. Open up that rock. I put a lot of thought into this one. The fans have been wanting it. They've been asking for it. And now they have Mr. Rocco. Mr. Rocco. He can pal around with old Socko. Well, look at that! <laughs> Is this thing great? <laughs> Mick was up all night getting this stuff ready. Just moment, this rock is cooking! <laughs> no, you're all! He's talking out of his eyes. Well, we can talk about it later, but somebody's been standing outside there. Somebody very, very special, and I know you don't know this somebody yet, but as one half of the Rock and Sock Connection, by golly, you're going to know her real soon. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Yerple. Mick's friend Yerple. This is Yerple the Clown who was there. Man I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know, but this is not Rock's life. This is a nightmare. But Mr. Sacco's birthday party. And now I want you to share in the festivities as we celebrate this very special man. What is that, a condom? <laughs> I like you. Oh, I like you. Oh, my gosh. I like you. <laughs> Please. Please lay the smack down on the clown. She's the best in the business, Rock. I'm begging for a rock bottom. The biggest jabroni I've ever seen. Rock, this is your life. Tonight may be his life if he wins the WWF title. 
Well, The Rock says this. Before you come in here and start putting little stickers on The Rock's shirt and put little streamers all over The Rock, The Rock just wants to know, what is your name? It doesn't matter what your name is. <laughs> well, that's the truth. Now, you hold it right there. It certainly does matter what her name is, and I'll tell you why. Because I tried real hard, and I went through a lot of expense and time and effort to make this night real special for you. And one by one, you're going to insult my guests, make this night a bad night for me. Sometimes I think you're a very ungrateful little man, Rock. Uh-oh. But more importantly, I'll tell you why it matters. Because this young lady is going to lead Greensboro, North Carolina, in a birthday sing-along for The Rock. Is it The Rock's birthday or am I missing? Oh my God! Happy birthday to you! What a voice! Happy birthday! What is this? Another jabroni! Happy birthday! And that's singing. Last time I heard something sound like that was my cat getting neutered. Look look at the cake! I don't like the looks of that cake either. Naturally, The Rock is appreciative to all of his fans, but to you, The Rock's birthday is May 2nd. You stupid son of a bitch! It's screwed up again. Five, six months, you know. I, I know that, Rock. It's just them. For some reason, every day I get to spend a little time with you feels like like somebody's birthday. Uh, he means it too, does Mick Foley. <laughs>